0: did you get one?" I excitedly screamed at a childhood friend, hoping to be heard over the sound of a yellow and black flying V guitar being pumped through countless martial amps on the stage in front of us. What? he responded. Did you get one? I repeated, a question that was met with a disappointed shake of the head and a sly smile of resignation from both of us. I knew he was within reach of one of the small faux leather-bound Bibles that had just been launched in our direction from the main stage, but I couldn't tell if his hand was the one to snatch it out of the air. The Bibles, as some of you may have guessed, were being thrown from the stage by none other than Michael Sweet and Oz Fox lead singer, and guitarist, respectively, of the 80s Christian metal band Striper. The year was 2001. They were playing a reunion show at the well-known Christian festival Cornerstone, and and though it was a Christian music festival, they still employed their famed evangelistic shtick of bygone decades, and in so doing were met with cheers from the crowd soaking up the nostalgia of it all and i do think it was done a bit tongue-in-cheek for the sake of nostalgia given the context i mean it it was a christian festival but it was at one time a genuine effort of evangelism and who can say whether it was effective in the 80s perhaps stories can be told of seeds planted that grew I'm, i'm certainly open to that possibility and would rejoice if that were the case. But but I always wondered, even as a high schooler, is, is something like that really accomplishing much? I think the story we started looking at last week in John chapter 1 offers us a different path forward when it comes to missional engagement with our culture. A path forward that doesn't require fame, doesn't require a stage, and it certainly doesn't need gimmicks. So let's pick it up where we left off, John chapter 1, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? can anything good come from there nathaniel asked come and see said philip this is how the jesus movement begins a slow chain reaction of personal referrals Last week, we saw John the Baptist refer two of his disciples when Jesus walks by, and now Andrew, one of those disciples, John pointed to Jesus, who was also Peter's brother, the Peter we are probably familiar with from the story told in the Gospels and Acts, the one who wrote some letters in our New Testament. Well, Andrew, his brother, was one of the first to follow Jesus. And he immediately goes to inform his brother, hey, I think we found the Messiah. And he brings him to Jesus. The next day, Jesus, traveling to Galilee and finds Philip and says, follow me. Philip responds and follows Jesus. And again, like Andrew, his understanding is incomplete at best. But the first thing he does is to go and get Nathaniel, whom most agree is referred to as bartholomew in the other three gospels but nathaniel responds to this invitation that famous response he's from nazareth can anything good come from come from there so the hometown of this one that many are beginning to believe might be the messiah is a laughingstock among the people it's the the butt of many jokes you know, when I worked in Alaska for a Seattle-based company, I actually encountered something like this a fair amount. You're, you're from where? What is a Springfield, Missouri? Do they even have electricity there? You're from there? But indeed, we find the Son of God comes from this no-name place, Nazareth. I think there's a subtle but very important reminder here that Humble beginnings don't determine destiny. That no name, out of the way, humble, laughing stock places and people are not forgotten by God. In fact, God seems to be very at home in those places among those people, which is good news for us. I, I hope you find encouragement this morning in that simple truth that humble, no-name places and people are not forgotten by God. So Nathanael questions the information he received. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? And Philip responds, I know my thoughts exactly. I can't explain it. It almost seems as though Philip is maybe a bit embarrassed to even be suggesting this. He knows that it doesn't really check out. I can't explain it. Just come and see. See for yourself. At times I wonder if this might be the best mission strategy. I, I can't explain it. Come and see. Come check it out for yourself. Instead of responding in arrogance to a skeptic or a questioning person who inquires about your faith, instead of responding, and of course we would never use these words, but at times it might be the attitude, instead of responding to a question, well, you idiot, what a stupid question. Of course I have an answer for that infantile question. Perhaps the best response is a bit of humility, maybe even a willingness to acknowledge I. I don't know. That's a really good question. That's a difficult question, but I'd love to explore that question with you. Let's have some deep conversation about this issue. I don't know the answer, but what I do know is that Christ has changed my life, and I want to invite you to come and see. You know, just as Jesus' followers didn't feel as though they had to have it all figured out, before they came to Christ, or feel like they had to have fully developed opinions on every issue imaginable before they came to Jesus, it appears that neither did they assume they had to be experts before they brought others to Jesus. Every time we find Andrew in John's Gospel, he's depicted as bringing somebody to Jesus. Christian discipleship is not just about us journeying with Jesus, it is about that, but it's not just about us discovering the wonders of his love and entering his life and enjoying that personally. Discipleship also, I think, involves a desire for others to experience that life as well. And perhaps if we find that we don't really have that desire, I would encourage us to consider why that might be Maybe it's because I don't want to be seen as pushing my beliefs on others. And I completely understand that. But if Jesus truly is Lord over all creation, and if he has truly changed our lives, I think at some point, a desire for others to experience his life will be inevitable. So maybe we would begin very simply by offering this prayer. Jesus, birth in me a desire to see others drawn into your life. And keep me from being consumed with my own life, my own worries, my own family, my own ambitions to the point where I forget or ignore that I'm a part of something bigger, that I'm a part of your body, which is called to bear witness to your kingdom. It is integral to my identity that I have taken on as I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm a part of your church, and as such, I want to engage In a personal, humble, loving way with those around me. That you might be made known through me. Another thing I love about this story of these first followers of Jesus that John tells us about. Is that these are not the heavy hitters of the gospels. We're not talking about Peter, James, and and John the Beloved, the author of this gospel. That sort of all-star cast. These are those that are at the very end of the credits list. They're they're making minimal appearances in passing at best, so briefly at times that you almost forget that they're a part of the story. It's sort of like Bill Murray in Zombieland. Well, it's probably not even like that, like a cameo with an A-list actor. These are more at the level of extras. In the story and yet they are so significant and influential in bringing these group of of disciples of Jesus together almost certainly not cognizant in the moment of the impact their small witness would have for centuries to come but they make a big impact for a few individuals and and that's all that matters And I want to suggest that that's really all that any of us are called to do missionally. We aren't called to change the world, certainly not single-handedly. As individuals, as a small faith community, we're not called to change the world. That sort of pressure is completely unhelpful, and I think it's even more unrealistic. We are not called to change the world, But we are called, in our small sphere of influence, however unremarkable it seems, we are called to share Jesus and the life and hope he has birthed in us with those we know. Participating in the restorative work of God, engaging in mission, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is not a task that is reserved for quote-unquote spiritual giants. It's not a task that's reserved for somebody like me, a full-time pastor or a full-time missionary. Mission isn't reserved for the A-list actors in the story, if there even were such a thing, which there is not. It is for ordinary people. People like you. People like me. Ordinary people who have something to offer with the people you know. I think it's very possible that another thing that might prevent many from sharing their faith in Jesus is an understanding that there is a lot that I don't know. And what if the person I'm sharing my faith with catches me in a paradox that I simply don't know how to get out of? Isn't that going to be more damaging to the cause of Christ? Isn't that going to be an embarrassment to me personally and further entrench somebody in their disbelief? It seems like a pretty ineffective strategy. But that's an ineffective missional strategy only if our idea of mission is reduced to presenting arguments and proving the veracity of our claims beyond a shadow of a doubt and twisting somebody's arm into belief. And to be fair, I I think that the use of logic and argumentation, not argumentation in the pejorative sense, but argumentation in the sense of Defending our faith claims and explaining why we believe what we believe. I think that is actually an important part of sharing our faith. But ultimately, we must remember that we are sharing the person of Jesus. We are not trying to win an argument. And I am convinced That we can rely on the beauty of Jesus to accomplish what our best laid rhetorical plans are unable to accomplish. It is not our speech or our words. It is the beauty of Jesus that attracts people to him. We're going to spend the month of February exploring what that might look like. as, As I believe that the way we approach life, the way we live is revealing the kingdom and attracting people to Jesus. But we'll hold, we'll hold off on that as we explore Matthew 5 in February. Brian Zond has said that the Christian faith is a confession, not an explanation. It's the confession that Jesus is Lord. He went on to say that we will explain what we can, but we will always confess more than we can explain. We will explain what we can, we'll always confess more than we can explain. I think any missional endeavor must proceed from that place of humility and sensitivity to where people find themselves in that moment. If mission endeavors proceed from a place of smugness, brash judgmentalism, mocking superiority, or self-righteousness, they are doomed from the very beginning sensitivity to other people, empathy, those are not the same thing as compromise. Just as conviction and faithfulness and orthodoxy don't have to be the same as vitriolic condemnation. We we can remain steadfast in our personal convictions and our commitments to orthodoxy while also being sensitive to where somebody finds themselves on their journey. So in our missional endeavors, both as a church... And as individuals, we hope to be sensitive. Sensitive to those who find themselves in doubt-troubled places. It doesn't mean that we have to view doubt as the highest of all virtues or a virtue at all. Doubt isn't what makes one wise, but it is at times the reality we find ourselves in. And we want to be sensitive to that. Let's continue reading the story, and then we'll, we'll begin to wrap this up. Verse forty-seven: When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, "Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit." How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Another reminder of no name people, no name places. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, "I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you." Then Nathaniel declared, "Rabbi." You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Nathaniel says, How do you know me? He acknowledges, he understands he's a nobody, a humble man. I find it inspiring that the faith we are a part of today begins in these humble origins, no-name people from no-name places. It begins with a couple of guys who have few answers but are willing to respond in faith to Jesus' invitation, willing to bring their friends to Jesus' The movement we are a part of. It didn't begin in ecclesial conferences with endless committees and tenacious gatekeepers. This is a grassroots movement we are a part of. It began with a couple of people encountering Jesus and spreading that word in their relational circles. And this is, I think, perhaps still the best model for our missional endeavors. Our purpose statement as a church Acknowledges that we are a community on mission together. We are a people on, like, like every other church, we are simply a people on mission to share Jesus and bear witness to his kingdom. And as a community of faith on mission, we are seeking to participate in God's restorative work. And one way we do that is by engaging in our surrounding culture. We want to share the person of Jesus. We want to share the wholeness that he brings into our lives to the real people we encounter in our everyday lives. Not in dramatic fashion, but in simple, humble, loving ways. I think the story that John is telling us in, at the beginning of this gospel embodies what we are trying to capture in that statement. You know, I think in, in our culture, more than ever perhaps, personal referrals carry a lot of weight. I don't know about you, but I am much more likely to purchase a product a good friend has recommended than I am to trust an advertisement that I've seen or even to trust online reviews, which I think are just another marketing ploy. Maybe I'm cynical, but we trust the experience our friends have had with products and maybe willing to purchase something they recommend because we know, friends are interested in our well-being and I think missional endeavors begin in a similar place missional endeavors don't require a huge platform they certainly don't require a gimmick they don't require a stage all that is required is a people empowered by the spirit Willing to engage. It's really quite simple. Willing to engage. Not content to cloister ourselves away, but willing to engage the community we have been placed in that we might have a healthy, life-giving impact in a variety of ways. A lot of times it's not going to seem very remarkable. But again, God is working in the unremarkable. Sharing the good news of Jesus, I think, is much more effective through our relationships. The people that you know, that you interact with on a daily or a weekly basis, are much more likely to believe something you tell them about an experience you had encountering Jesus than they are to believe somebody like me or somebody else standing on this stage. So as we talked about last week, You don't have to have all of the answers to come to Jesus yourself. You're not going to have all of the answers. I think this story is a a clear reminder of that fact. But additionally, you don't have to have everything figured out to bring others to Jesus. In faith, we respond to the invitation of Christ. We grow in our understanding. We spend our lives exploring learning and discovering along the way. It is a lifelong journey that we are always on, a journey of discovery. So inevitably, missional efforts will always, by necessity, take place while we too are continuing to discover who Jesus is and who, what, what he has called us to be. We never engage missionally from a place of having arrived or a place of having all of the answers because we are always learning, always discovering, always exploring the life in the kingdom that Jesus has invited us into. We, We cannot approach mission from a posture of arrogance and expect to bear fruit. So my encouragement to you, my encouragement for myself, for us as a body, is to remember to allow Christ, not your own brilliance or your own ability to win an argument or your own rhetorical skill, allow the beauty of Jesus to work through your relationships to draw others to himself and be open. Be open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. In very ordinary, everyday interactions, it might just be that an ordinary moment in a humble place, in a relationship you have with somebody else, will have extraordinary consequences in somebody's journey to Christ. And so we pray. Jesus, as you called these initial followers of yours from humble places, we can identify with that in many ways. And we are grateful that you have not forgotten us. You have not forgotten This no-name place, these no-name people. The no-name people in our neighborhood, the no-name people in our city, the people who feel forgotten. That you have not forgotten. And we ask that as we have read this story and as we continue to think about this story, of those who first followed you, we pray that we might be willing to follow their example, be willing to respond to your invitation in faith even when we are so uncertain, even when we are confused or experiencing doubt. And we pray that we might understand that even in the midst of our own questioning, we can invite others into your life. We pray that you would empower us as your people living into the realities of your kingdom. Empower us to be vessels through which your beauty might shine. That we, as John the Baptist said, that we might decrease, that you might increase in us. We pray that you would forgive us for times when we've been arrogant. Forgive us for moments when we've cared more about making a point than we have about demonstrating your beauty. Forgive us for moments when we have overlooked people and and forgotten them ourselves. We are reminded that you are a God that does not forget, that sees those in humble places. We pray that we might become like that too. Empower us to live humbly. Empower us to demonstrate the reality of your kingdom in simple ways among those we interact with every day, that your name might be glorified. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to gather around the table of our Lord. We'll make two lines down these center aisles. Stephanie, would you mind joining me as we serve communion? We'll make two lines down these center aisles. Um, When you get to the front, you'll hear the words spoken over you, the body of Christ broken for you the blood of Christ shed for you. Just as we have received the invitation to this table, um, a reminder of the invitation that we have received to Christ himself, my hope is that we avoid being content in responding to that invitation ourselves, but understand that we are called to now extend that invitation to others. So even as we receive, we are called to go out and extend. I want to say a prayer for us, and then I'll invite you to join me at the table. Give us grace. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we in the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, One God forever and ever. Amen. Would you join us at the table of our Lord today?